Greetings, everyone, and thank you for listening to The Black Report. I'm Deron Black, lifelong resident of Kansas City, Missouri, U.S. Navy veteran, proud dad, and humble servant of my community and state. I appreciate you for listening. It's my humble intention to uplift, inform, and for this platform to serve as a reminder for, first off, myself and for others to the things that I believe are important and deserve our focus. And let's just admit, in these days and times, I think we pretty much need all hands on deck for people trying to contribute, um, bring some clarity to the world, and be as positive as they can for, you know, their family, their friends, community, and just environment in general. So here's my part. Haven't always been the best at being the most positive or, or, you know, sometimes being the most consistent and being positive. But again, there's never a such thing as, you know, never too late, or I guess it is, you know, um, when you die, but I'm still living, living and breathing. I'm, I'm still above ground. So here's my um, effort to contribute. So I know you're probably not listening to hear me ramble on and on about, you know, my little humble intention. And so I'll just get, you know, right to it and pick off pretty much where I started or I stopped last time. And so last time was pretty much the opening of the Black Report. I laid a little bit of a foundation. We're not through laying that foundation. So, you know, please bear with me because I think hearing this story for the past 10 years of my life can provide you, especially if you're from Kansas City. And like I said, if you're especially one of especially one of those people, you know, like myself that has a major concern for Kansas City and, you know, are always curious to why things are the way that they are and why have they been that way for so long? You know, these are these are very valid questions, you know, because I was born in 1981. As a matter of fact, that's exactly where I want to, you know, pick up this episode of the Black Report. My life being born November 27th, 1981. Of course, I can't tell you exactly what was taking place, you know, at that time because, you know, I was being born. But um, being the good student of history that I am and doing the best that I can to, you know, put the puzzle together, you know, to really make sense of things. You know, I've done a little bit of studying about that time. And as I said before, you know, being a, a, a big student of economics and also, you know, a big student of political science, you know, that is where things really start to make sense to me and how I started to see how my situation wasn't necessarily different, but it was unique in a way because of the time of the world the time of the country and it really serves as a marker you see because in 1981 Ronald Reagan was elected president of the United States 
Um, and he took office in 1981. I don't know or I'm, I'm not familiar with a whole bunch of things that were taking place when Reagan was elected. But I know that <laughs> it's crazy how... They say that history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it does absolutely rhyme. As a matter of fact, I think it was an economist that said that. or I think it was probably Mark Twain, one of them. But there was a new concept being promoted in economics called... um, think, you know, and don't get me wrong, uh, like I said, I don't have a PhD in economics, you know, thank God, but it was a theory called supply-side economics, and I believe that the Reagan administration, as a matter of fact, I'm actually going to go back and and look some of this stuff up because I want to be absolutely, um, or at least more certain about this time period. And of course, if you want to help me out, if you want to point me to a couple of books, uh, you know, some research or, you know, some information, I would definitely be happy to check that out. Um, You can always, you know, reach out to me. You can find my my email in the description. But anyway, um, supply side economics um, was part of of Ronald Reagan's approach. And at the same time, we had just went through what a lot would call a decade of, well, again, things that hadn't necessarily happened before in the history of the United States. Um, One of those things, of course, was the effect um, from the United States being taken off of the gold standard. Now, that didn't happen necessarily in 1980. It happened actually in 1971. So 10 years earlier than when I was born. And it's funny because... One of the things, you know, like I said before, that is very interesting about certain time frames is that those time periods, you know, in my opinion, they can really tell a story about what is taking place now, because if you just kind of look at the narrative of what was taking place before, um, like I said before, it gives you a little bit of an insight. And, you know, I know that one of, you know, one of my um, icons um, throughout my lifetime has been Malcolm X. And Malcolm X used to always say that one of the biggest disciplines that you can learn from is the discipline of history. So forgive me. (laughs) I I know I was um, talking a little bit about my history, but let me just tell you a little bit about some history in general. And if you don't, you know, care to hear, then go ahead and turn off. But anyway, so 19... 50 or so was when Kansas City went through some very, you know, um, very impactful changes, you know, even at that time. And it's so, so funny that or, you know, I won't say funny, but it's so, so sad that that time period 
still to this day, you know, has so many effects on the way that this city um, is organized and the way that this city has stagnated and lost its way, you know, uh, to a very large degree. And one of the main things that was happening in 1950, you know, besides my grandmother first moving to Kansas City around that time, um, um, you know, of course, I'm always bringing up my grandmother, but, you know, that's one of the ways that I, I really try to keep track of this story and try to really put a human um, story, you know, to it. Because if you just look at a lot of the statistics and you look at a lot of information from that time period, you know, for me, um, sometimes you can, you know, lose sight of the real stories um, that are taking place. So my grandmother actually migrated to Kansas City in, in the early 50s and she moved to Kansas City as a single parent yep my oldest uncle on my mother's side um, is or he you know he was the child of a single parent household and my grandmother actually came from the south she came from Pensacola Florida and thank God she was ultimately adopted by the people who I've known, you know, all of my life to be my grandparents or my great grandparents. And the thing about my great grandparents, Leslie and Susan Seals, um, they were migrants to Kansas City also, because that's another part of the story, basically, of African-Americans here in the United States. Um, a lot of our families, you know, as you probably already know, or if you haven't, you know, been been aware, you you know, you probably should ask if you still have the opportunity to do so, because, you know, a lot of those folks from that era and that generation, you know, they are slowly passing away. So, you know, maybe this can serve as a little bit of an incentive for you to do a little bit of history and, and discovering yourself and go ask some folks, you know, some elders in your family, you know, where your family might have came from, you know. If you're black, if you're you know white or whatever, you know, however you want to identify yourself. Um, I don't even necessarily like using those labels, you know, black and white myself, because, you know, what does it ultimately mean? It, it really means very little um, when you talk about um, judging someone, you know. But anyway, um, a lot of, you know, so-called black folks, you know, they came from the South, you know, here in Kansas City, Missouri. As a matter of fact, if you look at the population in Kansas City, Missouri, it grew pretty substantially as far as black people are concerned um, from the, you know, from the 40s into the 50s, of course, because of the outbreak of the war. And so. World War II uh, wasn't over until about 1949, I believe, um, when they finally ended the war with the armistice uh, with Japan. And uh, like I said, my grandmother migrated to Kansas City at that time as a single mother and ended up getting adopted by my great grandparents. Now, when I was born, the house that I grew up in was located on 25th and College. And so my great grandparents, they lived down the street on, you know, the corner of uh, 23rd in Indiana. And so as a child, 
my great grandfather being, you know, an old country boy from McGee, Arkansas, um, he used to have a very different memory of Kansas City. You know, he didn't expect to tell me everything that he knew about Kansas City. You know, of course, um, when I was born, he was, you know, much older than I was. But he told me a little bit about Kansas City, things that always stuck in my mind. And one of the biggest things that stuck in my mind is the divide that he told me about Kansas City. He used to say, Ron, and we would sit on his, you know, sit on his porch and, you know, watch the traffic go down 23rd Street. Um, and he'd say, Ron, you know what? At one point, when I used to come to Kansas City back in the Depression, you couldn't go any north any further north if you were black of 7th Street, you couldn't go any further south of 27th Street, you couldn't go west of Truce or east of Jackson. And so that was the boundaries of, you know, what basically black people, you know, could, could live in. And it's, it's very interesting because when I start to reflect on the condition that my great-grandfather was experiencing when he would jump the train from McGee, Arkansas to come to Kansas City in the 30s and the situation that my grandmother was experiencing when she was coming to Kansas City in the 50s and how this place called Kansas City has always or has always been seen almost as a destination to a degree where people would come and people would try to get themselves together and a lot of the times people stayed they wouldn't go anywhere you know um I know that, you know, a lot of people have left Kansas City, you know, throughout the years. And, you know, of course, that, again, serves as one of one of the problems and one of the reasons why I bring up these things, because in the 50s, there was a trend that was taking place across the country called urban renewal. And so if you ever have just taken the opportunity to look at a map and you look at Kansas City and Jackson County and you see how two highways just cut right through the city. And if you look at where those highways are approximated, well, you will come to find that they match up very closely to what the boundaries that, you know, I just got through saying that my grandfather was saying uh, about where black folks could and they couldn't live. And so that has always been a main story of Kansas City. You see, when we formed Alpha Male Nation, it was behind the understanding that we needed to create 
situations for ourselves and establish a mindset and a culture of self-sufficiency amongst ourselves. And that ideology or that perspective or that notion of living, we believed was right in line with what we considered to be some of the spirit of Kansas City. You see, even though those boundaries were established in that area, my experience when I was growing up in 1981, as a child, I felt something totally different. And I believe, for the most part, if you ask a lot of folks from the, from from that era, what was the condition back then? You probably would get some very um, different opinions, and I would even bet that for the most part, you would get opinions of a community that even though it lacked certain material resources that the condition or the social structure gave the community a far different look than what we see today with some of those problems economically existing as before. You see, one of the things that had happened with these urban renewal programs was a lot of land clearance. And like I said, you had highways coming through neighborhoods and displacing people from their homes through eminent domains and so-called slum clearings. But at the same time, there was very little development or housing or resources that was put into the community to in a way, stifle, you know, the things that have been taken out. Because what happens when you just take land and take property and, you know, you destroy those things, for, you know, for so-called, you know, uh, the elimination of blight. But there's nothing there to replace it. And people just ultimately get displaced. And so I can't say that that happened directly to my family um, because, you know, when I was born, we had always, you know, pretty much lived around that, you know, area of, you know, between 23rd and 25th and, you know, later in my life, you know, cousins and relatives would start to move to other portions or other parts of the city. And if you grew up, you know, in my area, you know, you probably have the same experience as well and it almost leads you to a understanding of okay well if no one is here 
to take ownership of a situation, then there's not a, a whole bunch of reason for you to believe that the situation will deteriorate if there's no true ownership of it. You know, no one's calling it home. No one, no, no one's calling the place to live or or you don't even see it as that type of environment or that type of place. Case in point. So when I was young, I had this experience of walking to the store with my aunt and on the way to the store, I realized something. Now, mind you, I, I, well, let me let me let me just say, I was about five years old, or some somewhere around this. I, I've told this story several times before, but you know, it's <laughs> I can never really pin down exactly what age I was. But anyway, I was about five, anywhere from five to eight years old, somewhere like somewhere right there, which would have made it, you know, 1988, 1987, somewhere somewhere around there, right? But my aunt used to have a car and we used to drive our car you know to the store it was yeah it was right down the street but you know it was always a fun experience for me because you know sometimes you know um every so often you know back then in those days little kids you know we could you know we could jump behind the steering wheel you know and guide the car back or act like we're driving where you know the you know grown some grown-up believe make you believe that you're driving so we used to do that and this particular time we're walking to the store and I, I just happened to ask her I said auntie you know why are we walking to the store and she said someone has stole her car and I just immediately looked at her and said okay well why don't you just buy another one and she looked down at me and my other aunt, she was walking with me and they kind of both looked at each other and looked, looked back at me and was like, what, what, what is wrong with you? Can't just buy another car. We don't, I don't have that money. And she said, we're not rich. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that felt kind of stupid. You get your car stolen cars are expensive you can't just buy another car and she said not only are we not rich but we're poor and at that time I just felt like my whole you know what and I'm gonna I'm go ahead and say it. I had to be about eight years old because up until that point, you know, I remember a couple of different Christmases, you know, and if you can remember those Christmases, then, you know, you got to be of some age where, you know, you're getting you're getting something, you know, because, you know, the Christmases, you know, wasn't necessarily always the Christmases that, you know, other folks had. But anyway, they were still a good Christmas for us. You know, I think even looking back on it, I probably, you know, felt more <laughs> of not having anything for Christmas as I got older, you know, than um, 
than I even realized, you know, when I was younger, you know, because, you know, it's just the things that you're able to do for your own children. You know, you're, you're, it's always that story. You know, you probably heard it from your parents, too. Uh, when I was younger, you know, you could only imagine when I got. So, you know, again, you know, same type of effect. But anyway, so I had to be about eight years old because I remember a couple of different Christmases. And, and, you know, even thinking back now at 42, those you know, those Christmas mornings and things that we used to have and the whole Christmas experience in general and the whole holiday experience in general and the whole notion of being, you know, with family and the community that we had in general. You see, my grandmother lived on 25th Street. My great grandparents, they lived on 23rd Street and the church that my grandfather or my great grandfather Papa used to lead was on the corner of 27th Street. And so through 23rd, from 23rd to 27th, we had a TV shop. We had, of course, you know, the, well, it wasn't a grocery store, but it was a market. They had fresh produce in the store. Uh, of course, like I said, we had the church, you know, and uh, yeah, it wasn't that far, but it was several different markets um, around in that area. And so the effect of the blight hadn't truly settled in. But it was definitely on the move. A lot of the clearances that were taking place, it happened in the 70s. You know, they passed the legislation initially in the, you know, early or late 50s. And then they started the, 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 the removal or the deconstruction or the dismantling or the demolishing demolishing of the neighborhoods, you know, going into the 60s and the 70s. And like I said, that's that's when I came on the scene. But remember, I said something about Ronald Reagan and I said something about supply side economics because the country, again, we were at what was called or was considered a crossroads. Not only were the United States in a situation where we had extraordinary inflation in the 70s with very high unemployment, we had removed the Dollar from the gold standard, which is another story or another situation, you know, that, you know, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, well, I I will, I will talk about that because I think that's important as well. And we were in what was called a Cold War, so-called fighting the communists. And all these things were happening while the urban core was basically being decimated by 
government policies. And so that's why I say it is important, you know, for me to go along with this project because if you don't have a marker, if you don't have a reference, if you don't have something that you can look back on and get it from, you know, a perspective that has no what should I say intention or 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 incentive no incentive whatsoever other than to tell the truth you see again when we started Alpha Male Nation we wanted to strike a path towards self-sufficiency but what did what did that really mean? Or actually, you know what? I'll tell, I'll put it to you this way: We had to come to learn what that meant. Yeah, we had a, a inkling of what it meant because from our past, you know, like I said before, I was born into a single parent home. My uncle was born, and my mother was born into a single parent home. And so I'm two generations in a single parent uh, and from a single parent household. My great grandparents were the ones that I knew to be married. Now, my mother, she did get married at one point, but it was an abusive relationship. She couldn't stay in that relationship and thank God of it and thank God for it, you know. But, you know, fast forward till till today. And that's the story of today. You know, I I got married, you know, and I, and I, I did my best, you know, to, you know, bring my son up in a household where him and his mother were together and married. Yes, we've I failed. You know, of course, I'll, I'll put that on myself, you know, but, you know, thank God. Though my son has had both his mother and father in his life for the most part. And even though, you know, we didn't get married, um, you know, we still do our best, you know, to to raise our son. And, you know, definitely hats off and big shout out to all the single parents who have to do what they have to do to raise their children, because that is one of the most unfortunate circumstances about today's time is that we see that certain ways of living produce a different outcome than others. And it does not matter what anybody in the government says, <laughs> there's no policy that can make 
a household function in a way that is going to equalize outcomes for everybody. Well, let me take that back. There is a way, but it doesn't work. You know, it, it's, it's that, you know, that socialism word or that communist word, all that stuff. That stuff does not work. And please continue to follow me, you know, through this journey, because I promise you, I promise you, I have spent so many, so many hours and I spent so much time really researching and studying this stuff and breaking this stuff down. And I promise you, I will get to it. Um, I, I just feel, you know, of course, it's necessary for me to open up a little bit about my life and to bring you in closer, um, you know, because I think that the more of a genuine connection, you know, we could potentially stab, establish through this. It just ultimately helps you reflect on yourself. I, n- I never knew, you know, that this type of um, this type of manner of communication would be so important to folks. And then I realized how important it was for me. <laughs> yeah, I remember, you know, working in Ford Motor Company, you know, right there in Clay Como. Shout out to everybody up in Clay Como for, you know, KCAP, Ford Motor Company Assembly Plant with a UAW, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> I used to plug in my headphones you weren't supposed to have headphones but I plug my headphones in where some people weren't supposed to have headphones or you know yeah I don't think you were supposed to have them but anyway I you know did what I could Um, but I would plug my headphones in I would listen to a podcast and I would listen to different courses you know because at that time, you know, Apple, you know, not only had podcasts, but they had Apple University and you could listen to different, you know, um, university courses. And every single day I would work, you know, at least 10 hours and I would be on the line. And this, that's basically how I um, spent a lot of my time is listening to um, different lectures from different courses. And, you know, this was around. Well, I started in Ford at at Ford in 2007. And so, you know, the whole social media, you know, trend hadn't come full blossom. And, you know, basically the iPhone was just coming out and, you know, we still had iPods. You know, I, I, I literally had an iPod. I didn't have an iPhone. I had an iPod. And so... I sought out, you know, different different voices that I believe that I could trust and that I believe that I could follow. So, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be that voice for someone else. Might not necessarily be for you, you know, so share it with someone else. But if you follow me or follow along with me, In this journey, you'll see that 
we are really going to unpack some things. And then the main thing that we do when we start to unpack some things is that I want to help you think. And so I know I haven't finished the whole story. <laughs> about Alpha Male Nation. Like I said, I'm definitely going to get to it. And I'm going to be releasing this thing every week. So please don't forget. And if you want to, you know, send me an email. My email should be in the description. And if you, you know, want to write it down, it's my last name. Dot kcmo at gmail.com and I might be using another one for this podcast uh, but anyway that's my personal one you can email me there or you know look me up on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or X or whatever you know shoot me a DM or whatever and we are going to make this better I'm not doing this for myself somewhere Somehow, and even if not, this will count as a instrument of positivity and hopefully as a means for me to, you know, bear my soul a little bit for the benefit of someone else because like I said before I know what others have done for me in my life and I want to do the best that I can you know to get back to others so I think I'm going to leave it here and again thank you everybody um Don't forget to like. Don't forget to share. And like I said, leave a comment. um, Shoot me an email. But we'll definitely pick it up next time. And uh, I will, you know, get a little bit further into um, not just the journey um, with Alpha Male Nation, but also how that journey really relates to a lot of the things that It's not just taking place, you know, here in Kansas City, but across the country as well. I mean, I know everybody. Well, I won't say everybody, but Cat Williams interview with Shannon Sharp. You know, please, please check that thing out because I believe that, you know, Cat Williams exposes a lot of things that, you know, have to do with Kansas City because Kansas City is known partially for entertainment. Yes, I know a lot of people like to just talk about the sports aspect of, you know, the basketball and the football. And, you know, shout out to the Kansas City Chiefs again, you know, eight time Western Conference or AFC Western Division champions. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we're We'll we'll be hosting another AFC championship and um, going to the Super Bowl. But, you know, Kansas City isn't all about sports. Um, Kansas City is built off of the culture of art, entertainment, jazz, you know, food, you know, (laughs) you know, in 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 these things go beyond you know just the immediate experience of just entertainment no because you start to see how it relates to 
cultural resilience. And when we think about creativity, you know, those things relate to freedoms. And sad to say that we are witnessing some things that can be very um, threatening to what we want to see in our lives as far as progress, as far as, you know, just humanity in general. Um, There are some tough decisions that we're going to ultimately have to make. And 